Welcome to Pet Will Radio, a unique show about amazing animals and inspirational people. With your host, author, animal advocate, and attorney, Peggy Hoyt. Thank you for joining us on Pet Will Radio. Visit PetWillRadio.com for updates on shows, links to previous shows, inspirational stories, videos, and more. Until next time, take care. Welcome to Pet Will Radio, a unique show about amazing animals and inspirational people. With your host, author, animal advocate, and attorney, Peggy Hoyt. Hello, pet lovers. Welcome to All My Children Wear Fur Coats. Thank you very much, Peggy. Happy to be here. Well, you are so welcome. Um, just as a little Hello, background, I want to tell the listeners that you and I had the opportunity to actually meet in person in Cincinnati, Ohio, which is where you're from. I was at a Pet Loss Professionals Association meeting where I was actually lucky enough to be awarded the Certified Pet Loss Professional designation. And Tammy was there doing a presentation on pet hospice, and I was so impressed. So when you get bad news from your vet, Historically, they would offer you all kinds of aggressive treatments. You could, you know, if the pet was diagnosed, unfortunately, with cancer or heart disease, they would have a lot of options for you. If it's cancer, you could have chemo, radiation, uh, surgery for your pet. There were a lot of things that they could offer. But prior to pet hospice, the other option was or do nothing. Well. Aggressive treatment really is a great thing for, for pets that are going to come out the other side and have some quality, really good life and good time left. But there's lots and lots of pets who get these bad diagnoses, and they have a number of other health issues already, or they're just really already very old and frail. And a lot of pet parents don't want to put their pets through a lot of aggressive treatment. But they also feel pretty guilty just doing nothing. And pet hospice is an amazing answer to this issue. Um, you know, pet hospice identifies the entire family as the patient. It's not just the pet. And um, it also provides all of the services in the home. So the treatment and the care travels to the sick pet rather than making the sick pet travel to the veterinarian's office or to an emergency hospital, and it provides these services 24-7, 365 days in the pet's home. So that's kind of in a nutshell what pet hospice is and what it'll offer. Well, you know, in some ways, hearing you describe it, it sounds better than human hospice. <laughs> you know, and we have been told at least the, the way that Angel's Paws and my company approaches it, we have been told over and over again there isn't this level of service available to humans because I'll just give you one little example. Um, in, in our
our service, if a pet, let's say the family puts their pet out at 11 o'clock at night, right before they're going to bed, and their pet has watery diarrhea, they can give us a call, and first of all, we can take care of that so that the pet doesn't have to suffer with it and the human doesn't have to suffer with it all night long and let it get ramped up, but they can give us a call, and our vet will prescribe the medication. We know where all the 24-hour pharmacies are in the area, so the family can run out and pick up the medication right then and there. On the other hand, if they want to stay put and not leave their pet while their pet's not feeling very well, our nurse will actually go to our office, get the medication, and drive it to their house. And most human hospices don't have that level of service. Some family member has to be able to get out of the house and go get some uh, supportive medications at times. So. Okay, so there is a very significant difference, and I, and I like your philosophy about the whole family is the patient, not just the loved pet. You know, it's funny because I've, I've attended, pet hospice is beginning to take hold, at least the terminology is taking hold in the veterinary field, but I've been to quite a few different conferences and talks now, and I've heard veterinarians say, other veterinarians, you know, you've been doing hospice all along, you just didn't know it. And that always makes me laugh, because if you're really doing true pet hospice, oh, you know it. You know it because you have spent two to three months probably figuring out a staffing that gives your quality, gives quality of life to your staff as well as to your clients, because you're literally standing by, ready to go into that client's home 24-7. They're not bringing the pet to you. You're not, they're, you're not turning off your phone at 9 o'clock at night and saying, you know, if your pet has a problem overnight, take them into the emergency room. So if you're doing true pet hospice, then you are taking the care to them. And that is what truly gives the human so much peace of mind because they are the ones living with a fragile pet, no worries. And when you understand that it's you know, both two species, you've got a pet you're taking care of, but you also have a human who can have a lot of frailties of their own. This, you know, this could be someone who's suffering with severe uh, depression, and this could be the last living link to a, a child that they lost a few years ago. And they're really suffering with the, the diagnosis of what's going on with this, this pet. So, um, Having also on the team someone who's licensed to take care of the psychological issues and, and vulnerabilities that that human's going to bring to this situation is also very important. So that's why we identify the whole family as the patient, but we make sure we have licensed people to take care of both parties, the pet and the human. Wow, I think that's so great. I, I mentioned to you as we got started on... Um, the show today that I lost my beloved Layden um, back in June. She was almost 17 years old and um, had been a huge part of my life. Um, I adopted her when she was about four, and she never left my side basically for um, 16 years um, or for 12 years because she um, came to work with me every day. She slept with me. I mean, she was. She went on all my vacations with me. She was right there all the time. And, and when you 
when you lose a pet that's such a big part of your life, it really does leave a void. You know, I mean, I think that's really uh, such an important point, Peggy, and, and you had this relationship with your lady. I, we ha- the, the longest pet that we had enrolled in our hospice program, we're, we're going to be nine years old in, uh, next year, but the longest pet we had enrolled was for six years. And when this pet got a diagnosis of uh, uh, CHS or heart failure, uh, congestive heart failure, the, the mom contacted me and she said, I'm signing us up, not because she's so bad right now. This was Lexi. But she said, because I'm going to be a basket case because my whole life is wrapped around this baby girl. We go to the elementary school and we let the kids read to her each and every week she does this. And this is our thing that we do together. And then, and she and Lexi did many, many, many pet therapy visits elsewhere too. But it was, they were so bonded that she knew that she was really going to be the one in need, maybe more so than even Lexi. And, um, and so, Peggy, when, when you have a relationship like what you had with Layden, it is a blow. I mean, it is just a true, you know, kick in your stomach. And it's not something that you just get over immediately. That is for sure. I can almost not say her name or look at a picture of her even now, many months later, um, because I I still miss her um, every second of every day. And and that despite the fact that um, she was not my only dog. I have six other dogs. Um, So, you know, some people might say, oh, well, you have another dog or just get another dog. But it's, it's not just a dog I mean and I guess that's one of the things that comes up in your world on a regular basis is that these are not inanimate objects that are easily replaced they're members of our family they are our children and um and what happens to them deeply affects what happens to us well and that's what uh, you know this is one of the common bonds you and I have which this is our mission we're going about it in very different directions in, in terms of what we both do, Peggy, but um, the work that you do is very important for this exact reason, too, which is these are true, full-fledged family members for many, many people. I always say that pet loss is a disenfranchised grief. Um, you either get it or you don't get it. There's, like, not a gray in between. It's you know, people who are pet people totally understand what you and I are talking about. People who aren't pet people who, you know, who, who really haven't had the joy of loving a pet or having a pet love them that way, they, they really do see it as a, just a piece of property, a replaceable object, and they are, they're just so, so wrong and they're really missing something as we both know. The other thing that makes me sad, though, and let's talk about this for just a moment, is when people say to me, I'm not going to get another pet because I just can't do that again. That makes me sad only because I know how much they love that pet and I know how much they would love a new member of their family. And I just think of all the pets out there that need homes and that want homes and that would bring so much joy um, to this person's life if they could just find their way 
to, um, you know, obviously a, a relationship of love comes at a price, and often that price is grief. But it's interesting that you would say that because outside of the fact that I was driven into inventing uh, pet hospice out of a personal loss of my own with my cat Cagney, um, my, my major force in doing this is exactly what you just said. I had been a therapist for many, many years. That's, you know, I, I had been doing that when I lost my own cat. I was not... Um, I was not in the veterinary world at all at that point. So as a complete lay person, and I just found that there were no resources and no, no help. Um, but as a therapist, I was just sickened by the fact that these are amazing, wonderful pet parents. I was an amazing, wonderful pet parent, but my heart hurt so bad. I was teetering on that same thought of, like, I can't put myself through this again. And that is what has driven me to invent uh, the, the type of service that we do, which is through Pet Hospice and Angel's Paws, so that we're able to support people and that we are able to provide them a softer landing so that they will be able to open their home and start again sooner than later. I like that, too, a soft landing. So this is the part that's going to be disappointing for some of our listeners, maybe most, because right now Angel's Paws is only in the Cincinnati, Ohio area. Yes, it is. And you know it's funny because most people who understand what we're doing and they used to tilt their head to the side and say, what is it you do? They would think of something this progressive being on the coast or in some, you know, some very progressive place, and we're doing it right here in Cincinnati, and it's being received well. We, we figure if we can make it here, we can make it anywhere. <laughs> As the song says, that is correct. Um, so you mentioned that you got into this field because of your cat, Cagney, and also because of your background as a therapist, but really, what was the thing that said, okay, I'm going to give up being a human therapist and get into this animal hospice full time. So what the thing was was the loss of my dad. Um, a, a year after I lost my Cagney, my dad received the diagnosis of bladder cancer, and I um, I knew after I lost my dad that I needed what we had for him. I needed someone to come into the home, a nurse to come into the home and offer Cagney symptom management and pain control, and I needed emotional support and education. So it was really an experience with my father going through human hospice that prompted me to look online and see, you know, where I could volunteer in animal hospice. And in 2004, those two words did not even Okay, so you said, well, this doesn't really exist, so I think I'll invent it? My dad left me with entrepreneurial genes, and I thought, okay, so this is what the rest of my life is supposed to be about. And I have truly found why I was put on this earth. This is truly my purpose. Well, that is so cool because we are constantly counseled to find our passion and pursue it, and it looks like your passion found you. Yeah, it did, in a very unlikely way. So we just have to be open to that idea sometimes. So uh, 
in, in thinking about the services that Angel's Paws provides, I'm hearing you say things like symptom management, pain control, therapeutic counseling. Tell me what else um, Angel's Paws does. So that that is um, kind of it. Those are the big words that cover all of the little, a million little things that we do offer. And um, when you know when a pet is diagnosed with a disease, they have the beginning of their journey. And a lot of times in traditional the medical model of whether you're a human or whether you're a pet, there's kind of I always call it a train. You get a diagnosis, and you get on this train, and there's just certain protocols and a, a critical clinical pathway that that pet or person is going to proceed. And it's truly a train because being able to veer off and do some special things aren't typically possible when you're on a train track because those are pretty rigid. It's a pretty rigid um, journey. But in hospice, we're able to go in and make this very patient-centered and find out what the goals of the client are. What is it that they are trying to accomplish? And then create a treatment plan for the entire family that allows that to happen. That is so nice. I mean, it just sounds lovely. And um, how, many, how many patients are you working with right now? So our current census that we have is 165 pets. That is not necessarily 165 families because we do offer a family plan. You know, it always seems like a really great idea when you go and you get a pet to go ahead and get a second right then. And so lots and lots of people pick up a second litter mate so that those babies have somebody to play with and keep each other company on those long days when you're at work. So it always seems like a great idea on the front end. On the back end, it seems like, now, what was I thinking? Because I'm really facing, you know, multiple losses here all at once. And a lot of times, even if one pet is ready to go, the other pet's not quite ready to go, but they're failing. So we're able to enroll the whole family in the service, and that way kind of everybody is covered, uh, covered by this, this same program. And if they have, you know, and I will say this, too, this is the unfortunate part of that. A lot of times there's an identified patient that the family gets involved with us on, and then the other pet surprises them and kind of sneaks up and, and becomes ill first and, and passes first. But when they're enrolled in our program in the family plan, then it doesn't really matter which, you know, which pet raises their little paw and says, it's time for me Well, I, I like the idea of a family plan, especially um, as a person who has more than their fair share, probably, but um, with my six dogs and two cats and three horses. Um, so I would definitely need a family plan. Fortunately, I think my oldest dog at the moment is eight, and everybody else is younger, all the cats, all the dogs, um, uh, not the horses, but... Um, all my horses are over the age of eight at this point. But I, I really do like that family plan idea. Um, and I agree with you. Anytime one of my clients says, I'm thinking about getting a dog or I'm thinking about getting a cat, I always say, get two. 
Um, and, and I don't necessarily recommend siblings because I have had good and bad um, with siblings, but um, certainly spacing them out in terms of age might be a good thing to do too, considering um, that you don't necessarily want all of your pets to be old at the same time. Yeah, I mean, it's just really, um, it's one of those things that my clients report to me a lot, is that when they're losing their last pet, that uh, that there was always another pet there to be their, their therapy and to comfort them as, as they're going through that. So um, when, if you can kind of space it out, it is wonderful to have a, a companion there who gets what you're going through, who's got a great relationship with that that and we, you know we do a lot of in our, our pet hospice we do a lot of addressing of the sibling pet and what their their grief is going to be and helping them uh, know how to have an opportunity to pay their respects and have some closure as well but being able to nurture those other pets is good for the human as well but it's also good because that pet will will nurture the human right back Absolutely. So if you're just joining us, you're listening to All My Children Wear Fur Coats on MixLR.com. If you have questions or comments, you can chat with us live at MixLR.com forward slash All My Children Wear Fur Coats. I'm your host, Peggy Hoyt, and today we are talking with special guest Tammy Wynn. She is the owner and founder of Angel's Paws, and Angel's Paws is a pet hospice located in Cincinnati, Ohio. I spent a little time with Tammy on the line before we started encouraging her to go nationwide. So, hey, Tammy, what are the plans for that? So we would love to. And it's very interesting, Peggy, because when I, in 2004, when my father passed and when I had this uh, placed in my heart, truly it was a divine placement in my heart to do animal hospice, um, I would immediately tell people, oh my goodness, I'm supposed to do animal hospice. And I was not met with a single person who said, yeah, I'm doing that already, or what a great idea. I was only met with a, a, a head tilt, like, what? You're going to do what? It was in 2004, to hear those two words put together was just, um, you know, something that nobody was doing. So I, um, I, I, that was the first thing they did, was they tilted their head. The second thing they said was, oh, my gosh, that is so needed. You need to franchise that. So I've been hearing that word literally since I started putting Angel's Paws together, which was in 2004. I officially opened it. It took me six years because there's no model around the world, anywhere in the world, to do what I wanted to do. I uh, went back to school at the age of 50 and became a registered vet tech because I, I knew I could provide emotional support to the family, but I also didn't understand the disease process of the pet. So in order to do this justice, I knew I needed to do that. So I went back to school, became a registered vet tech, and then officially got Angel's Paws open in 2010. And from there, it has been a huge labor of love. Love. I was the 24-7-ness um, of Angel's Paws for the first three to four years of, uh, of getting this, this started. And then I was slowly but surely able to start bringing on more and more staff. Today we have a full-time veterinarian, three other 
full-time registered vet psychiatrist myself, a full-time office manager, um, a, a full-time transporter, because we have a crematory in our facility as well. So we, we've grown. We've got a lot of people, but um, as the old saying goes for entrepreneurs, that you wind up doing a lot of work in your business and not so much on your business. I have finally, finally, finally grown to a point where I'm able to step back a little bit and put together the policies, the procedures, the step-by-steps of everything that we do that has made this so successful over these years so that we will be able to offer this um, out there throughout the country and actually throughout the world. There's interest. I'm, I'm on the board of the International Association for Animal Hospice and Palliative Care. Um, which is a group of people who have come together to start learning about this, this service. And there's 14 countries represented already in this group. So there is a lot of interest around the globe in, um, in bringing this kind of service everywhere. And I would love to, to help spearhead making that happen. Wow. So you mentioned that there's an international association of animal hospice and palliative care. Um, that is something that I did not know. And um, how long has that organization been around? So interestingly enough, that group uh, organized in the year of 2009. And um, the founder is Amir Shanan. Very interesting. In 2004, when, when this was placed in my heart to do this, I immediately got online and started looking to see what was out there that I could start learning about. And there was a group called the Association for Pet Loss and Bereavement. And lo and behold, they were going to be having a conference in Newark, New Jersey at, uh, within a month of when I'm looking for it. So I got myself there, and I was sitting in the audience of one of the classes on grief, and I was talking to a veterinarian who was sitting next to me. And and I was saying I was interested in doing pet hospice, and he said, so am I. And his name was Amir Shanan. So he, he and I crossed paths way early on. And then in 2008, there was the first animal hospice symposium, and it was at UC Davis in California. I was there, and lo and behold, there was Amir Shanan. So our paths crossed again. And this time there were 135 people who were starting to use the word animal hospice. And um, so from there, Amir started garnering some of the support from that group and actually organized into this nonprofit that, op- that started in 2009. And then um, we, through that group, we've actually put together the first ever certification program for veterinarians to do animal hospice. And um, it is a um, like a, 100, a little bit over 100 hours of CE for veterinarians and vet techs. And they will come out with a certification in animal hospice and palliative care. Um, so if you're interested where you live, you can go to their website and look at the directory and see if there are um, members of this group that are in your area that are doing animal hospice or at least doing home euthanasia. I will say that um, the term hospice, pet hospice or animal hospice, is one that is getting a little watered down out there in the community because a lot of people who do home euthanasia um, 
are saying are they like the word hospice better because it sounds a little nicer and it doesn't sound as you know kind of as abrupt or crass to their community so they say they do hospice but they're what they're really doing is is home euthanasia or they're doing some end of life uh, work for the pet in the pet's home which is a very noble work it is very very noble but it's end of life work that they're doing if they are just a veterinarian because until they are a full interdisciplinary team and have a licensed human therapist on board so that the whole family can be identified as the patient, then it's not really true pet hospice. Um, so you want to make sure that um, as you're looking in your community for someone to help you, that they will be able to work with you as the human um, in a, a very, uh, a, a, in a, with a licensed person so that they can help you kind of navigate, navigate these very difficult emotional waters of pet loss. So you want someone, a, a group that will do that. You also want a group that's going to be 24-7 in your own home. Any, any organizations that are willing to just kind of turn off their phones at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock at night and put a message on saying if your pet is sick uh, and it's time to take them into the emergency room. You know, if you think about human hospice, there is not a human hospice out there that would tell you with your mom enrolled, for example, that when it's her time, Well, and I think that's really where the idea of palliative care comes in, too, um, as opposed to just end-of-life care or home euthanasia, as you were mentioning. Um, it's kind of that longer process and healing for everybody. And, you know, and that's a really good point, too, um, because, Peggy, there's a lot of palliative care that can be delivered in the pet's home by a, by a veterinarian without the benefit of an interdisciplinary team. And that is extremely, extremely, like I said, very, very noble work for someone to be able to deliver that to a pet. So that, you know, I, it just always drives me crazy that if you've got a pet who's extremely arthritic, that they have to get loaded into a car, jostled to the vet's office in order to get pain medicine. Um, that's you know, it's just kind of counterintuitive to what is going to make that pet feel better. So if the pet can be served at home so that they don't have to go through that just to feel better, then that is true palliative care. Love it. Absolutely love it. So I, I notice on your website, which is at angelspaws.com, and our listeners can go there and um, check out everything that Angels Paws does, and I think use you as the kind of the, the standard for what they should be looking for. Um, I, I noticed that you've registered the trademark Pet Parent Peace of Mind. What does, what does that really mean? So it's, it's so funny because when you are on the front end of a, you know, of a coming, emerging, amazing field, um, when you're on the front end of it, people don't, they don't even know that pet hospice exists. 
is. They don't, they don't know that. And I always also say, you know, when, one of my biggest challenges was people don't know to ask for it, and we never knew we needed an iPhone or smartphone, but where would we be without it if they hadn't come up with it, put it in our hands? We can't live without it now. But so I was using the word hospice, pet hospice, pet hospice, pet hospice a lot in the early days. And um, I, I had people who were would take a leap of faith and do it and, you know, get on board with it and then love it after they experienced it. But on the front end, the word was just not hitting the mark for them. But what they were saying to me after they experienced it on the backside was, oh, now I have peace of mind. And then it was to the point where as soon as they got enrolled and we left them for that very first day, they were saying, oh, now I have so much peace of mind. So my clients kept feeding that back to me in so much that ultimately I just named my program Pet Parent Peace of Mind. And I went ahead and did the registered trademark for it because that is truly what we at Angels Paws do. We give that pet parent so much peace of mind matter what's going on with their pet, as their pet is unfortunately going through that normal, natural decline and getting ready to leave them, that that transition does not have to be so abrupt, so difficult, in such a foreign place. We can be at home and truly be able to give them a softer landscape. Yes, definitely. I'm, I'm thinking about the loss of my sweet laden this summer and, uh, the fact that my vet, who I have a, a long-standing 25-year relationship with, was kind enough to come to my house and, and help me have a softer landing, despite the fact that um, it will never be an easy transition for me. Um, and I was surrounded by friends and other pets and and the whole nine yards. And it I did have great peace of mind when it was over. But at the same time, there's always that reluctance to to let that pet go, even though you know that it's in their overall best interest and you would not want that pet to suffer. So how do you kind of counsel people through that, Tammy, and, 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 and make it real for them that they really don't want their babies to suffer? It is one of the biggest challenges that I think we have as pet parents is knowing when. We don't want to do it too soon, and we don't want to do it too late. We've been running a free pet loss support group for the entire um, time that I've been open, so almost nine years now. And we listen really carefully in there, and so many of our people who've gone through it um, both directions, either a day too soon and a day too late, they come to the conclusion that they really would rather do it a day too soon rather than a day too late because that day too late can cause that pet so much suffering and then we get past the event and there's so much guilt and remorse on the pet parent's part. And so it has become one of the biggest questions that my clients ask me, which is how do I know when it's time to send my pet to the Rainbow Bridge? And um, and if you haven't, if you don't know what that poem is, it's like just Google pet loss and poem, and Rainbow Bridge will come up. It's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful story about what to expect afterwards and meeting your pet again in, in the afterlife. But um, 
So because they asked me that, I used the acronym of RAINBOW, and I created a quality of life scale that I call the RAINBOW scale. And I'll just walk you through the acronym of it right now. So it is the, uh, what we're looking for are significant changes in the following. The first is R, routine. Pets have a routine with you. They, you go to the refrigerator, they're right next to you. You get your car keys out, they're at the door before you are. So they have a routine. And all of a sudden, as their disease or age starts to really catch up with them, that routine changes dramatically. And you start to notice that. And you, you start paying attention to the differences that they're having in that routine to start preparing your own heart that this transition is coming. Like it or not, it's heading your way. Um, so the, the R is routine. The A is attitude. This is the happiness quotient. This is when um, the, the things that, that you would do together that you knew that they were happy. You'd walk in the door and you would think that you have been gone for two weeks. But you've just been gone for, to work that day. But they greet you as, you know, with a ticker tape parade, practically. They're so excited and happy to see you. There comes a time, again, as, this, as the disease progresses and, and age catches up, that they just sort of maybe don't even move off their bed. And they look up and they wag their tail a little bit. And eventually they don't even lift their head sometimes. So we start to see that their, their attitude and their happiness uh, starts to, to diminish. The I is incontinence, the ability to make it to the litter box or to get outside. These are important because we as pet parents will accommodate our pets. Um, and, you know, we don't mind that they go to the bathroom in the house. They, maybe they haven't gone to the bathroom for a couple of days and we're just happy they've gone. And, um, but there is a, you know, they're trained, they're so well trained that there's a shame almost that comes across them that they haven't been able to uh, get outside or, or get to their litter box. And so I always say that there's more than just physical suffering that can happen at the end for a pet, but they also can have emotional suffering because their number one goal in life is to please you. And even though we're willing to accommodate them, um, W is walking and mobility issues. Um, you know, we as, as 
uh, humans really treasure our independence and our ability to get around and, and take care of ourselves, just do the basic daily living uh, activities of daily living. We take for granted that even though we're willing to accommodate a pet and we might carry them outside, maybe carry them to their water dish or their water dish to them, we, we forget the fact that they would like to be able to get up on their own and they would like to be able to protect us. So um, walking and mobility is a really big deal for them. Absolutely. Wow, I love that. So um, the acronym RAINBOW, R for routine, A for attitude, I for incontinence, N for nutrition, B for breathing, O for obvious pain, and W for walking or mobility. And I know the listeners can find out more about that at your website, angelspaws.com, but that's a really good reminder, I think, for us, Tammy. Um, and, and as you were going through that, I was thinking about um, all of those changes that I went through with my laden and... Um, and it is true. Pets are so stoic. They they don't want you to know that they're in pain, and they don't show their pain a lot of times until it's really pretty far down the road. They are they are unconditional lovers. They are pleasers. They will do everything that they can to you know make us believe that they are good. They're very stoic. And so it's really up to us. It's, this is the burden that we have upon us that we have to pay attention and help them out when they're not going to ask for their, their help. And, you know, all of that love and all of that that they do to please us, Peggy, again, is, is what you're all about. And I just admire um, the work that you do and the fact that you bring these messages to pet parents to, to really have this quality of relationship with their fur baby. Well, it, it's interesting when you were talking about the day too soon versus day too late, um, because I remember talking with one of my clients one day, and her advice to me, and I thought it was excellent, and she says, it's not the ones that I put down too soon that I regret. It's the ones that I waited too late. So I've always tried to take that advice to heart, and I, I had this little dog. I had adopted her as a senior. She was 11 years old when I adopted her, and um, I thought she was getting towards the end of her life, and um, she had obviously some sort of a mast in her stomach, and I had taken her to the vet, and the vet agreed that she wasn't doing very well, that she was probably not going to make it through the weekend, and um, I really, I did not want her to die at home. I wanted to, um, you know, take responsibility for um, her end-of-life care. And so I had her at the vet, and I was saying my goodbyes, and I took her outside for one last little romp around the, uh, the veterinary yard, and uh, something just came over me, and I just got this idea that it was not her time for some reason. And we went back in, and they're filling out the paperwork, and I'm getting ready to sign it. And I just, I looked down at her, and I said, Sassy, what do you want to do? And she barked at me, woof, woof, and wagged her tail. And I said, load up, baby, we're going home. <laughs> and darn if she didn't live another year and a half. Mm. Yeah. And um, 
that just made me so happy. And um, it's the one time where I like to kind of rib my vet a little bit to say that he was wrong. Um, but we had another wonderful um, more than a year with her. And, and sometimes you just don't know. But I just got that feeling in that one occasion that I was going to be making a mistake. And, and I'm glad I listened to my heart and my gut on that one. Pet parents know best. They absolutely know best. You're the ones who have the relationship with that pet, and you know best. And the other thing is, if, you, if we had a crystal ball and we knew exactly when, if we had a black and white answer of when this time really is, all of our lives as pet parents would be so much easier. It's because it's this gray, murky area for this decision that makes it so difficult. Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. Thank so, you for being on that one, because, and Sassy thanks you, too. <laughs> oh, I'm, I know she does. She was a little Welsh corgi, and I have such a special place in my heart for uh, Welsh corgis that uh, um, they're just so smart and so cute, and they, they just know, they know how to talk, and they can talk right into your heart. Um, so for our listeners who are just joining us, um, you are listening to All My Children Wear Fur Coats on MixLR.com. You can chat with us live if you have questions or comments at MixLR.com forward slash All My Children Wear Fur, fur Coats. You can also, of course, find us on Facebook and you can find us on Twitter at Kids in Fur Coats. Today we're talking with Tammy Wynn. She is the founder and CEO of Angels Paws. Uh, animal uh, hospice, pet hospice, and she's at angelspaws.com. You have an impressive staff, Tammy, I have to say. When I look at the, uh, the credentials behind everybody on your team, it's just it's so amazing and heartwarming that you and your team have dedicated your lives, really, to helping um, people like me, pet parents, um, make good decisions and help us um, help our pets transition um, across the Rainbow Bridge. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. It's truly a calling, and I, oh, my gosh, I am so lucky with the people who have, who have come to work with me because they get it at their core as a passion just like you do. Well, that is so nice. And uh, you mentioned home euthanasia, um, and it sounds like when a pet does pass that's in your care, um, you have some options available for the pet parent on that aftercare part of, um, of their pet's life. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. You know, it, it, as your pet is starting to head in that direction, we're thinking all about their comfort and, you know, uh, there's, there's a period of anticipatory grief in that, that period, which actually is the harder grief than the grief that happens after the loss because everything in front of you is a blur. You don't know exactly when it's going to happen and what it's going to look like, and it's very scary. But um, therefore, a lot of times you're not thinking about, well, what happens really afterwards? What do I want in terms of aftercare for, for my pet? And this was an important thing for me. I, too, Peggy, was very, very lucky when when uh, I lost my Cagney, who was my first death, really. Um, and, and I had two 18-year-old cats, Cagney and Lacey, at that time. But Cagney, 
Um, I hadn't thought about aftercare. I didn't know. My vet offered me a cremation. And she offered me an individual cremation, which I paid extra for. And so I, I did that. But after I got Cagney's ashes back, I then everything the fog is starting to clear, and I'm starting to now, you know, research things and understand things a little differently. And I thought I was paying for a truly Cagney being the only pet in the crematory. But it turns out in the industry that that's actually called a private cremation, not an individual cremation. So I had paid extra for what I thought was a private cremation. It turned out to be an individual cremation. I was so disappointed. So when I opened Angel's Cause, I wanted to be able to offer my families a private cremation where, um, where their pet was the only one in the crematory at a time. And so we, we have a crematory on site. We have a chapel, which is not a religious, a religious experience in any way. It's just a, a really pretty special room that we have set aside for people to come in and pick up their pet's ashes. We schedule the, uh, the chapel for about 45 minutes at a time, and people can take as much or as little time in there as they want or need and uh, to be able to pay their respects and, and really begin the first step on their healing journey. Um, you know, it's, it's not just an ending with that pet. It's a beginning of how do I do my life now without this pet. And then as a result, we also offer free pet loss support groups twice a month um, in our building. They've been well attended for nine years. We, we always have people. I, I think there's been one night out of the entire nine years that we didn't have somebody show up. So usually between two and 12 people come um, every time. And then we do um, a another uh, group in the middle of the month called Mid-Month Social Gathering at a restaurant because people need to get out and do something that they don't feel like going out with family and friends because they don't feel like their old self. Um, so this gives them a chance to go to a restaurant, have something to look forward to like that, but with people who get where they are emotionally at that point. Um, so that's the, the kind of aftercare. And then I do one-on-one -on -one grief counseling with my clients who are just really kind of stuck and need a little additional support to, uh, to move on. And, and um, when we talk about accepting a death, it means how do you incorporate this life and get all of the meaning of what it was that they came through your life for into your own life and carry it forward for the rest of your life. Wow, that sounds incredible and, and such a nice service. I, uh, I have to admit to the listeners that uh, I, I was hosting a monthly um, pet loss support group myself for a while um, called Peace After Pet Loss, and, um, and we, we had some sporadic attendance, and, and we maybe just didn't stick with it long enough, but um, I really feel like your situation lends itself to um, really offering the services that people need. The other thing that I noticed that you have, and I think this is really cool, and it's giving me some ideas about, uh, is your Soul Pet Book Club. Tell us yes. a little bit about that. So, the interesting, the, when the people were coming to me for one-on-one -on -one grief counseling, there was a common thread that was happening with them. And they, they were saying, you know, I love all my pets. I love them all. I love all animals. But I had a connection with this one particular pet. And what kept coming to my mind was this is their soul pet. And then 
with therapy, you you know you have to be very confidential with your clients and, and keep their all of their information to yourself as a therapist. That's good therapy work. But I knew that they would benefit if they could meet each other. So I created a therapy group and put it out there to people who have that special relationship so that they could find a way into a community of people just like them. And uh, really, we explore deep things that aren't talked about elsewhere, like what, you know, what is the possibility for an afterlife? Where are our pets right now? Do we get signs and, and wonders and, from them? Um, and there's, it's really, it's a very, very special, interesting group. Very, also very well attended. It's one of those things that I had to just kind of open up and see what ha- would happen. But, but we have quite a community. In fact, our whole angels' cause has become a community. The people who have used our services, which is about 7,000 people at this point over the nine years, um, they come to, they come back and they do memorial walks with us and they come and do um, our, we, we have a nonprofit arm of our business. They come and do don- uh, fundraisers and, and uh, donation appreciation events. So we've, we've really got a great group of people who enjoy being with each other because they're like us, Peggy. They love their pets as family. Well, and I love seeing, too, that uh, one of your special events this year was estate planning for pets um, that you held back in October. And um, you know that my passion is estate planning for pets and also now um, Animal Care Trust USA, who has a mission of making sure that our loved pets stay in loving homes if something happens to us as the pet parents. So if I become disabled or I pass away, I want to know that my pets are going to be able to, um, and for me, this is maybe a little different from other people, but I want my pets to actually stay at my house. Um, so my pet trust actually plans for the fact that a pet caregiver will move into my house, take care of my pets for the rest of their lifetime, and they don't have to move. Um, so uh, created a not-for-profit organization to make that happen. Peggy, would this be inappropriate for me to say I love you? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I love you, and I love that you are putting out there that that is even a possibility. That is beautiful. I have a lot of people who do ask me or they say to me that their fondest desire would be for their pets to actually stay in the pet parent's home. And certainly we can make that happen. That isn't everybody's desire, and that's fine, too, um, because if if that's not their desire, we can still make sure that their pet is placed in a forever home um, or in a forever sanctuary, whichever would be their preference. Um, Animals like horses, um, obviously we're not placing them in homes. They'd probably go to a forever farm or a forever sanctuary. But um, we have all those options available, and and we can't make this happen without – partnerships with organizations like Angels Paws. So we really appreciate everything. We appreciate the whole animal welfare, rescue, pet loss, aftercare, everybody who's in the the pet loss communities because um, that's where we're going to find those forever homes to provide lifetime love for um, these pets. But as you know, um, you know, more than half a million animals are euthanized annually and these are loved pets 
um, who simply um, lost a pet parent and didn't have anywhere to go and ended up at the shelter and without an adoptable home. Um, because in many cases, these animals might be older or they might be infirm, um, but we want to make sure that all loved pets remain in loved homes forever and ever and ever. Wonderful. What a beautiful, beautiful mission and calling of yours, too. Well, thank you, because like you, um, I was inspired by my father, um, who was with the Humane Society of the United States for all of my growing up years. And... Um, taught me um, the importance of sentient life, animals, and, and the fact that we are put on this world to uh, provide them with love and care, and, and that's what we have to do. So with that in mind, I want to thank you so much, Tammy, for joining me today and sharing with the listeners everything about Angel's Paws Animal Hospice, and I would strongly recommend that folks go and visit angelspaws.com check out everything that Tammy has to offer if if you're motivated in the same direction please reach out to Tammy um, support her efforts and um, and emulate the good work that she's doing um, tell us where we can find you on social media uh, so you know I <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say but we have a we do have a Facebook page uh, at Angel's Paws, and I am an, I'm an old girl, I've, um, so social media snuck up on me, so I have got an amazing girl named Heather who takes care of all of our social media for us, but we do, we're on, uh, we are on Facebook, and I do believe we have a Twitter, and um, she's going to, she's going to like this whole interview except for this part, Peggy, because <laughs> them animal animals angels paws and uh they are there and you will be able to find them and you can always reach out to them through their website and thank you thank you thank you um tammy for for joining us today thank you to our listeners and um you can find us here every monday at 3 p.m eastern standard time you're listening to all my children wear fur coats you can find us on Facebook at All My Children Wear Fur Coats and on Twitter at Kids in Fur Coats. Please also check out Animal Care Trust USA. We are on Facebook as well as on Twitter as well. And if you love your pet and want to keep your loved pet in a loving home, um, Animal Care Trust can help. So we will talk to you next week. Until there are none, please adopt one and happy tails. Thank you for joining us on Pet Will Radio. Visit PetWillRadio.com for updates on shows, links to previous shows, inspirational stories, videos, and more. Until next time, take care.